All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is episode number 52 of Slappercast. This is the second episode that Patrick has not been on. Wow. <laughs> There's only one before this that I did by myself. The reason being, Patrick's traveling this week. Uh, we have a, uh, a very, what I hope is going to be a rare week off this year. Because <laughs> we're, we're fixing to get pretty busy here pretty, pretty soon. Uh, so we're not playing this weekend, but we'll be, we'll be back in action the week after that. And uh, so Eric and I are here. Just the two of us today, along with Ringo. Ringo the dog is subbing for Patrick. Uh, (laughs) You may hear him later, because if he hears a dog outside, he'll run and bark his full head off. Yeah, Ringo is very cool. Yeah. He's 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 having a great time. Kind of chilling right now, yeah. Um, So, before we get into uh, yapping about whatever, I do have some news about the Ireland tour, which I should have had ready before we started recording. We finally have some details I'm just going to have to edit this out. <laughs> More details. Uh, For the, those that are listening, you know that the Ireland, the Ireland tour will be happening in October. Yeah. This year. Yeah. And I do have, yeah, it's going to be October 24th through November 1st. And uh, we're going to be going to Dublin, Cork, Blarney, Killarney, and Galway. So we're still working out the details, but we're, we're really close to being able to, to uh, give you the whole the whole spiel. Um, so keep an eye out for that this week. Um, not sure exactly when we're going to be, uh, cutting it loose, but we will, when we are, when we have it ready, you'll be able to sign up for it online, put your deposit down and you'll be good to go. Nice. So it's going to be, um, it's going to be cool. I'm, I'm really excited about the way this is coming out, uh, coming together anyway. So Eric, last time, last time, what wasn't the last time it was the first time you're on the show. You talked about how, uh, hearing the Beatles, was kind of like your siren call yeah. to, I guess the drums, but also just music in general as a, as a focus, right? Yeah. 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 It's like, you know, it's like, you know, when I was a kid, you know, when you're a kid, when you're a kid, I mean, all kids like music, doesn't matter what, what really, what the music is, you know, they just move to the beat or dance to the beat or whatever, you know, and, and being a kid, I, I liked songs. I liked, you know, but my dad, of course, was feeding me, uh, you know, music. Like I had, like for my first communion, he gave me a little, they gave me a little cassette player, uh, a realistic yeah. cassette player. You know what I'm talking about? They had a little it, handle on it. You know, it was right. basically shaped like a like a mini, like a little, I don't know, rectangular box or whatever. Just the handle that kind of slid in. Yeah, and exactly. Yeah. 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 I had a little microphone on it and stuff like that. Yeah. So I could make my own tapes and stuff. Yep. Um, but like my first, the first tapes he bought me were like Roy Clark's Greatest Hits, Elton John's Greatest Hits Volume 2, A Carpenter's Record. Uh, you know, kind of the stuff that was, this is like 70, ooh, excuse me, 78 or so. So kind of like whatever was kind of like, I guess, sort of popular, not a whole lot of rock and roll stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I, there must be something else. I was big into CW McCall too. When I was a kid, I liked that convoy song and, and stuff like Who? that. Sorry. CW McCall convoy. You know, oh, is it the- we got a truck in convoy across the, you know, talking like he's on the the, the CB radio and shit uh, like that. Okay, okay. It's so ridiculous. I'm sure I've heard it, yeah. Oh, yeah. If not, just go home and Google CW McCall. It's the most ridiculous <laughs> shit you'll ever hear. Um, yeah, and then from that, you know, you know, the, the, the Beatles sort of sort of took over, and that was yeah. less than 10 years after they'd already broken up, which I didn't know that then. I didn't know, really know the history until I got older yeah. of that band. So. I sometimes have to, have to pinch myself, too, because, you know... That, that that when I when I first were, was listening to them and and so forth that they were all still around you know and it would yeah. have been such less than like you say I mean less than ten years and it's funny I was happened. just thinking about this because I heard Empty Garden on the radio yesterday um, by uh, Elton John 
And that's the song that he wrote about when John Lennon died. Right, yeah. right. And I know I joked to you about, uh, and we were in rehearsal, I joked to you about John Lennon's solo stuff and how much I didn't really enjoy it. Yeah. But but still, I mean, I remember I remember when John Lennon died, it, uh, my cousin John called me up at like, right before school, it was like maybe 7.45 in the morning, we're just getting ready to leave for school. Um, and he's like, turn on the TV right now, click. I'm like, whoa, you know. And so I turn on the TV and I just remember like being like, as a kid, as a 10 year old, just being like bummed out for the rest of the week yeah. about that. You know? Yeah. And I hadn't even really, really dug into the, you know, the, the catalog or the history of that band yet, but I mm -hmm. knew that the Beatles and John Lennon and John Paul Jordan Ring were all important characters right. in the history of music. Yeah. So, and hearing that song yesterday, I was like, Oh yeah, I remember this when this song came out and yeah. the gardens. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't heard that one in a while. Yeah. I, I remember, I remember that. That did. I, th I think I actually found out when the news broke, which was my mother and I were usually up pretty late. Mm. We would we would watch Johnny Carson, yeah, so far. So it was probably around ten o'clock, something during the the evening news, yeah. And uh, I just remember it came on the news that that John Lennon had died, and and uh, and I was already I was a big Beatles fan, but it, like just like you, I hadn't really dived into their catalog and all that stuff. You, you and I were both eleven years old yeah. when that happened, yeah. So. Um, I, I just remember my mom was coming in, coming back inside from like either walking the dog or watering plants outside or something. And she was just walking. I just, I just remember that moment because when I told her, I, I turned around and told her that and she just stopped in her tracks and looked at the TV, you know, just aghast. Yeah. And I kind of, it was really her reaction that kind of gave me the, you know, the, that, that was my measure, my measuring tool for how, what a big deal this was, sure. you know? I, yeah. I mean, I knew that Beatles were, were, were yeah. a big deal and all that stuff, but well, not, not, not to one up your story or get yeah. up the track, but, um, I remember being in the car with my mom, we were driving, she was driving somewhere and I remember the radio announcer saying that Elvis Presley had died. Oh yeah. Wow. And her reaction, I'm sure it was a lot like your mom's yeah. reaction. And that's what made me have a visceral reaction to her reaction because I was like, I knew, I mean, 77, you know, you're seven years old, eight years old, right. kind of knew just just about then sort of kind of knew who or had heard of Elvis Presley mm -hmm. and you know just didn't really think about who he was or didn't know who he was but seeing my mom's reaction and she was a huge Elvis fan right even as a little girl growing up you know she's like Elvis is one of her favorites and just seeing her reaction as she's driving in the car I was like whoa this is super important yeah yeah, yeah. weird that was 70 77 yeah. yeah yeah unfortunately I don't have I have no memory of of when that happened I mean the only reason I know about it was because, because I was actually in the car and the radio her. announcer said yeah we have breaking news, you know, Elvis Presley has been found dead in Graceland. And my mom was like, what? And like, don't crash the car, mom. I think my parents were too busy getting divorced that year <laughs> for me to remember that. <laughs> well, that's fair. That's another tragedy. But, sure. uh, yeah. Anyway. Sorry, mom. Yeah. <laughs> I'm bring that up. Um, okay. So you mentioned that your dad got you a copy of rock and roll, rock and roll music. That yeah. was your first record. Ridiculous album. <laughs> what was on that? Was it? Just some of the so basically some of the, the rock and roll music was it was a double record that Capitol put out. It was a double one, yeah. Okay. So it was, so it was four sides, um, and it was basically like a lot of their more rocking uh, originals, and um, so like um, I think Twist and Shout. Well, I mean it's some of their covers. So Twist right. and Shout was on it, but like Please, Mister Postman wasn't on there. That kind of stuff. Okay, but like uh, like uh, the night before was on there. Uh, I'm down was on there. Okay, almost like the um, like the past masters stuff that right. they you know all the singles that they kind of released. Yeah, uh, Bulldog was on there. Okay, uh, Hey Bulldog, yeah. Um, oh, Helter Skelter was on there. Wow. Um, 
Yeah, it was it was it was more their back in the USSR was on there more definitely more their rock and but not birthday stuff. right birthday wasn't on there birthday was on there it wasn't yeah, oh good I think it was okay yeah, cool yeah had to be or else you know defeats the whole story of my life (laughs) (laughs) but so i got that one and then um and then a few maybe for my birthday that year or whatever um i got the i got the red album and then sean got the blue my brother my older brother got the blue album the red album was the one that capital put out of all the early original stuff um and then the blue album was the later Mm -hmm. like i think the blue album was 62 to 66 and the re- blue record was 66 to 70 or whatever it was. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it had the picture of the famous picture of them looking down when they were kids. I think it's the please, please me record mm-hmm. of the staircase and they're looking down. Right. Then, and then one from when they're all, they all have beards and long right. hair. And yeah. Stuff they went like back that. to the same building. Yeah. Yeah. That, that shot was taken. That was originally supposed to be the cover of let it be, which was originally going to be called get back. Yeah. So that was the idea is to sort of recapture the past of the first yeah, record. Yeah. Yeah. There but they didn't wind up using that cover. Yeah. So then they, have you heard that let it be naked record? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I love, I love that. Yeah. After hearing, you know, you hear the Phil Spector version and you hear the, the other one, it's like, Oh, that's what these songs are supposed to sound like. Right. You know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's really interesting. Some of the differences in the mix mixes on that one. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that jumped out at me, it's been a while since I've listened to it, but one of the things that jumped out at me was, um, for you blue, which is one of my favorite nice. George Harrison songs. Yeah. Um, Phil Spector like mixed out. You hear his guitar intro in the beginning, you know, doodle doo doo all that stuff that that intro thing he does in the beginning. But then the, the guitar, the acoustic guitar, just kind of disappears in the mix after that. And the groove, I kind of understand why Phil did it because he he lets the piano and and John's slide guitar that he's yeah. doing and Ringo kind of carry the rhythm. Yeah. But the, the, there's some really nice strumming that George is doing throughout yeah. it. That on "Let It Be Naked," you can you can finally hear. Oh, cool! And it's yeah. pristine, just beautiful yeah. sound. Uh, so I, I kind of, I like both of those mixes. I kind of like the, cause he, he just kind of lets the rhythm section kind of feel kind of focused on the rhythm section of the man. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. And there's also, there's going to be a new, a new let it be thing coming out this year. Hmm. Um, we don't, they, they haven't announced a date yet, but, um, I don't know if you know this, but, but Peter Jackson, the guy who directed the, the, uh, yeah, the Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings movies, he's, um, recutting, uh, the footage from let it be into a whole new, Ah, project interesting um and he, they've said that the you know the, the one of the points of this is to just show people that 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 the whole experience of doing let it be wasn't as miserable as the original film right <laughs> shows yeah because michael Lindsay hogg who directed that film kind of focused on a lot on the drama that was happening like the big argument that paul and george had yeah. you know and just tell me what you want to play and I'll play it. Play, right? yeah, I love that. Whatever, whatever, whatever it is that will please you, I'll do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and anybody who's been in a band and, and has witnessed arguments, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it happens. Was, that was, <laughs> was so on the nose, but I, I've, and I've seen some, there's some little bit, a little bit of, of leaked, uh, footage, like really bad quality, you know, excerpts and stuff have been, have appeared on YouTube throughout the years here. Oh, and there. Sure. I haven't, there was something I found. I haven't been able to find it. And I, I, I'm, I'm hope, hoping this will wind up in, in the cut, but there, there was one scene I saw um, where they're they're all sitting in the in the uh, in, in the control room listening to some playbacks, and uh, with Glenn Johns, Glenn Glenn, who was the the engineer on this record, um, who later went on to produce the Who and loads of other people, but uh, John and Yoko, they're both there, and, and John is talking about how he had just had dinner with Alan Klein. 
the night before mm-hmm. <laughs> who Alan Klein, who, if you know, Beatles history, Alan Klein kind of, he was one of the, uh, one of the, um, the final nails in the coffin yeah. of the Beatles yeah. relationship because the, the, just the descent that his appearance, uh, created between, between them as members, but also later he screwed them out of a lot of cash, which they, they eventually, uh, sorted that out later. But, but, uh, it's, it's, it's funny cause he, you know, John's talking about, yeah, with Alan Klein, man, he's great. I love him. And Glenn's like, so wait, so what do you think of this guy? Really? He's like, I love him. He's great. And he's like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that guy, man. You know, I met him at a party once and, I was, and he was like very politely like trying to say steer John away right. because the deal hadn't been made yet at that point. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of acrimony to come. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, because of the whole thing. It was very interesting. It really was like, wow. Glenn, they, yeah. they actually caught that on film. Interesting. So I hope, I hope that's going to be in the movie. I don't know. I went to, I went to go try to find that. I saw that on YouTube uh, a few years ago and I, I tried to find it the other day and I can't find it now. So down the rabbit hole that can be YouTube. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I want to ask you about this. When I was, when I was growing up, obviously Ringo was a huge influence for you. You said it was a, your well, obviously the first drummer that you think that you kind of, kind of, it's the first, studied. I, it's the, so the, so the birthday song was the, by the Beatles was the first song that really made me stop in my tracks and yeah. try to and understand that music is way more important than just listening to it, just being a passive listener. Mm-hmm. And from that moment on, I had been sort of interested in the drums There's a picture of me somewhere. I'll show it to you later from 1975 where I got this little toy drum set for Christmas. So even back then, I don't. I couldn't tell you what it was. Something was in me to want to play the drums, and when I heard that song, I was like, "I'm going to play the drums, yeah, no matter what." Because right. the song just kind of grabbed me. Like I said before, for me, it's not the greatest Beatles song in the world, but that rhythm is what really grabbed me and made me understand that there's more important things to music than putting in a tape and doing something else while you know actually listening to music, actually being a part of music. Yeah, was that so? But, you know, he was definitely, them and the Beatles were definitely the first big influence on me. And like I said before, I've always liked songs, you know, mm-hmm. a little bit more than drums anyway. Yeah. So when I started digging into their catalog and understanding their music and their place in history and, and then not really fully realizing how great Ringo actually was until much later in life. Like, I like the Beatles. I like Ringo. And when people started dogging on him, I'm just like, man, that's... That's what I was getting to. That's... <laughs> I get it because it's kind of funny because I mean, people can dog on a lot of drummers and there's a lot of, a lot of drummer jokes out there, mm-hmm. you know, but then it really took me some digging in to really fully understand like how great he really was. And anybody that dogs on Ringo, that's, that's their opinion, but they're wrong. Yeah. You know? That seemed, that, that, that really seemed to be prevalent when, when we were teenagers. Cause I, I remember spending a lot of time in my teens defending him. <laughs> Yeah. To my friends yeah. who, cause that was, you know, this was the age of rush and, and, uh, you know, I don't know, trying to think of all the drummers that, that, you know, drummers like near Pert and who's another really big, like super skilled drummer who was big back then. What years are we talking about? Like the eighties, uh, late seventies and eighties. Well, I mean, John I'm, Bonham, obviously. And, yeah. I mean, John, I mean, John Bonham was just about dead by then but i mean right and, right. and keith, keith moon, moon was right around the corner right yeah um but you know a modern drummer i remember at the time in the 80s it was you know bill bruford always showed up in uh in in uh in modern drummer you know and bill was the drummer for you know he played for uh, king crimson and it might have been in yes for a heartbeat or something like that but you know he was one of those times Stuart copeland of course was one of those oh, right. guys yeah of course that was becoming huge at, in, in the yeah. early 80s yeah, yeah. from a drumming standpoint go. 
And a lot of these drummers that we're mentioning are, are in bands that weren't, weren't really as popular as people think that they were, you know, because even the police, the first couple of years of the police, they weren't super popular or not necessarily underground, but it wasn't until that synchronicity record came out that everybody became, they became huge and they ever, ever became a police fan, mostly because of that song, uh, every breath you take mm-hmm. and not fully understanding that, Oh, there's a whole other catalog of really more amazing stuff before that record. Yeah. So, um, you know, and like we said before, you know, Neil next to Ringo, probably Neil Peart is probably the, one of the biggest influences in, in, in rock drumming and in music history. Yeah, definitely. You know? And so then it's easy to say when you have guys like Bonham and Peart and, and Stuart Copeland and Bill Bruford and, and, you know, whoever else, it's easy to say, Oh, Ringo sucks. You know, yeah. why is nobody saying Charlie Watts sucks? Yeah. You're doing the same thing. Right. He's playing, he's just playing what the song needs. Yeah. You know, well, if Patrick was here. He would say, <laughs> he would, he would jump right on that train. Well, yeah. I'm not, he's, a, he's, he's not a Rolling Stones fan. Anyway. I mean, either. it's kind yeah. of one of those things where it's, you know, and I, and, and this is where Lemmy, the genius of Lemmy Kilmeister is, 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 is like awesome because he said, Hey, you know what? The Beatles, those guys were working class guys. Mm-hmm. Rolling Stones. Those are art school kids. Yeah, that's right. You know, he's like, he's like the Beatles, you know, when they're singing about, you know, Penny Lane and all that kind of stuff, that's the shit that they lived and they lived in those neighborhoods. They understood those people. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Big I mean, time. Mick and those guys like being like, Hey, we're like these dirty, gritty blues guys. No, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's funny. That wasn't, that wasn't that, that, the documentary, right? The, mm. the Lemmy documentary. That quote this is brilliant. I thought I thought it was just like, oh um, my god, he he's genius. It makes that's how that's the best way to explain it to people. Yeah, you know, yeah, it really is. That, then that's I didn't really know that was one of the. Uh, I think it was it was yeah. There was in the early the early years when when Mike joined the band. We were we were both kind of sharing. You know, we we watched Flight Six Six together, the the Iron Maiden documentary. Yeah, and um, it's a concert film slash documentary. And, uh, and then we, somebody, I think, I think Mike had found out about the Lemmy documentary that come out. So I think I rented it. I can't remember. I don't remember, I don't think we watched it together, but we all did watch it around the same yeah. time. So we yeah. were talking about it a lot, but that scene, uh, which you can find on YouTube where he goes in to the, uh, uh, to the Amoeba. I think it's a Amoeba record store, the huge record store yeah, in LA yeah. to, to get the mono, uh, Beatles box set, yeah. which I had just bought myself. And, and, and he, and he talks about the Beatles and all that stuff. And I was like, I just, I love this guy. <laughs> yeah. No, I just love, I, you know, any, anybody who appreciates the Beatles that much and especially with somebody like him who his, his music does not sound like the Beatles. I mean, there, nope. there, there are aspects of it. That I'm sure that he's learned, you know, from his songwriting and so forth. And, yeah. And the whole, the whole, all the mechanics about being, being in a band and having a band, I'm sure that he probably learned from, from well, that, but, and, 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 but it's and, not in his music. And that's, it's just great to hear see somebody who's completely the antithesis of what you think a Beatles fan would look sure. like. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, the, the really crazy thing too, is if you look back at music history, especially in the sixties in England, you look at who is contemporaries of each other, mm-hmm. Beatles, stones, the who black Sabbath, uh, even Lemmy. Cause he was a kid right. back then, you know, all those guys, you know, um, uh, Graham Nash, you know, the Hollies, you know, all these bands are all doing it all at the same time. I mean, obviously the Beatles towards the end of the sixties, right. And black Sabbath was just coming up, but even, you know, when those guys were playing in bars as earth or whatever the hell they were called back then, 
these are all, and of course the Beatles weren't playing in bars anymore, right. but these are all people that were contemporaries of each other. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't unheard of to go to the pub down the street and there'd be, you know, Keith Moon and Spencer Davis and John Lennon and, and yeah. whoever else Jimmy is Hendrix. all hanging yeah. out there. Right. You know, I mean, what a crazy mm-hmm. thing to think about that. And, yeah. um, and you know, you know, and Ozzy uh, was a huge Beatles fan and there's right. a really beautiful scene from, Ozzy was on the Howard Stern show and Paul McCartney was the next guest. And there's a really beautiful scene of like Ozzy meeting Paul for the very first time. Oh, really? Yeah. If you can Google that on YouTube, it's, it's really, uh, it's really amazing. Cause it's like, you know, Paul was a, the Beatles were huge to Ozzy growing up. They were like his idols. Yeah. And he finally gets a chance to, to, to meet him like in the hallway of Howard Stern of all places. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Paul's been, Paul's been on that show several times. I, I, I like how he's still alive. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's like Howard has, has softened a lot since the way he used to be his interview style. Sure. You know, 20, 30 years ago, it was a lot more, yeah, a, little, a lot more confrontational. And, more, he was the, the shock jock. You yeah. Know, he, that's his thing. But it, Paul handles, has always handled him really yeah. well. He's rolled with it, you know, but, um, I, I, I was thinking about the, we used to have a Howard Stern record when I was a kid, a Howard oh, really? Stern comedy record. Yeah. It was called 50 ways to rank your mother. Mm. It was a, as a parody of 50 ways to leave your lover. And the song kind of started out like, and Howard was singing, you know, and it sounded like the original Simon, <laughs> uh, Paul Simon song. And then in the middle of it, they would stop and they would be like two guys like cussing each, each other, you know, your mother's so fat, you know, the kind of a thing, you know, they would, and then they go back into the song. It was so ridiculous. I haven't heard that. Yeah. I was just thinking of, of, uh, Ozzy had a cover of, um, how I think John London's, John Lennon's song, Howl, which mm-hmm. is one of the songs off Imagine. Have you seen this? Mm-hmm. There's a video for it where he's, he's wandering around New York, uh, with, with holding, holding a, a bunch of flowers in his mm-hmm. hand. And he's, and he's, he's like, ask, I think he's asking people directions and stuff. And, very, and finally at the end of the, end of the uh, video, you realize he's, he was trying to find strawberry fields and he goes oh. to the, the mural in strawberry fields yeah. and puts the flowers down on nice. the Imagine mural. It's like, oh, that's really cool. Have you been there? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I used to live in New York. Oh, so uh, from, from, uh, 93 to 99, um, then I moved back here, but yeah, I used to go visit, I, I used to walk through some, uh, strawberry fields uh, yeah, just, pretty much of, every, every time I go to central park, I'd go there. Yeah. yeah. I'd just sit there and read. Yeah. yeah. And then of course people don't, who don't know the, the Dakota where John lived is right across the street from there. Mm. It was a, it's a little section of the park that, that Yoko, uh, donated money to have it restored and yeah. redesigned and re-landscaped and stuff in his memory. Speaking of, uh, memorials, have you been to the rainbow in Hollywood? N- no. So the rainbow, uh, bar and grill is where Lemmy used to walk. So Lemmy apparently used to live at like up the hill in an apartment. So in that, in that documentary, he's that's, in that really weird apartment. That's like full of shit. Yeah. Like, like his whole life is like crammed in this like West Hollywood apartment very yeah. dark and very smoky i'm sure yeah but he used to walk down the hill i guess and and, and go and play they had like a pinball game or like a like a video game on the, in the really back corner of the bar and let me used to sit there and drink right. rum and coke yeah and hang out there and and people would you know he, he would just be like a fixture there okay passes away and now they've turned that whole part of the bar into like the 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 motorhead memorial bar including behind glass a life-size version of a statue of lemmy cool is it though? Is it, <laughs> is, it, oh. is it cool? <laughs> is it, you think it's, it's kind of creepy and it seemed a little to me touristy. I was just yeah. there a couple of years ago when I was out for the NAM show and I, I was just, you know, sightseeing and went and went there and just to have a drink. And 
I didn't realize it had turned into this whole like shrine kind of thing. And yeah, I get it. I mean, that bar is going to be popular because just because of its history and who, who who has been there and who goes there. It just seemed a little garish to me that there's a, I mean, I understand if you want to put like a plaque that says, you know, Lemmy, you know, RIP Lemmy used to sit here or whatever kind of thing. But having that statue in the corner, is just like, what? I guess shit? it'd be like putting a statue of John Lennon, like right outside the Dakota. Yeah, like exactly. That. Yeah. <laughs> but not strange. like a bronze statue, like a, pla- like a resin, pla- like a plastic statue. Plastic basically. statue. <laughs> it's, just, it's colorful and it's life size, but it's just weird to yeah. me. Anyway. Yeah. That's kind of cool that, that I guess for Yoko having, having, having a hand and, and, and I guess design, I don't know who did the mural, but that the whole feel of it kind of has her, her mark on it, her, yeah. her artistry, you know, yeah. and they're, because even were, though it's close to the street, it's relative, it seems quiet there. It is. Yeah. I mean, you know, and there's always somebody, there's always people there that are just mm-hmm. sitting. Right. And you said you used to go there and read, but when I was there, um, it was springtime and there were just people just sitting and maybe mm-hmm. meditating in their own way or just like, yeah, soaking in the 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 uh, the, uh, the air, the atmosphere. But yeah, it was cool. I, I, I had a lot of interesting experiences there. There was one time, this uh, I was sitting there reading. I can't remember what I was reading, but this this homeless guy came up. I assumed he was homeless. He seemed like one of those characters, and uh, asked what I was reading, and then and then uh, I had this I had this really long, interesting conversation with this guy, and he was telling me about. I'm trying to remember that there was some book that he. Oh, Stephen, uh, Stefan Zweig, some philosopher. That's how I found out about it. I wonder how I had to go home and, and re- research what he was talking about. Cause oh, I wasn't right. sure if he was just making it all up. Right. That was, a, that was a very, it was one of those just very totally New York moments I had. Yeah. Another thing I remember, I remember sitting there once and overhearing a conversation between two, uh, street performers, him, you'd see around there and, and, uh, you see that all over New York, but th- some really strange, you know, like guys with, with like trained turtles and, you know, yes. <laughs> strange oh, yeah. things like that. Yeah. And I just remember hearing these, these two older, older street performer guys who are probably in their sixties and something that that's like all they do yeah. is, is, uh, do their thing on the street for, for cash. <laughs> nice. And they're just talking shop, you know, about what yeah. good, good places or good corners to go to and how, how times have changed. <laughs> oh, nice. That's stuff. funny. You don't hear stuff like that anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. And the sideshow on earth is New York city. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I miss that place. How, how much time have you spent there? How, how many times have you? When I used to live in New Hampshire, we used to, I used to work with this girl named Loli, Loli Marquez Sterling. I actually went to college with her family were uh, Cuban exiles and they ended up in Plymouth, New Hampshire of all places. But she was a singer. She had moved to New York and she had a cabaret show, which basically means that not, not that kind of cabaret guy settled down. Mm-hmm. Basically there's little spots in New York that have little rooms where people, put on these shows, they're kind of like musical podcasts in the sense that they, they kind of tell a story and they have songs and during the thing that interconnect, they tell little stories in between and they'll sing a song about stuff like that. Cool. So she had written a show called the dog years, which she basically called um, her life in New Hampshire. Cause it was just like, it seemed like every year lasted seven years. Cause it just, you know, time when you live in a small state, small town, time moves really, really slow. Mm-hmm. Talked about the boy she used to date and you know, relationships with her family and stuff like that. Relationships and her, you know, her feelings towards Cuba and stuff like that. So she would hire, I mean, obviously in New York City, you can find any musician to play anything. But for whatever reason, she liked us and wanted to hire us, all of her buddies from back home. So we would drive down to New York a couple times, you know, every every couple months or so. And we'd go in a day early and, and you know, like the, like the farm kids in the big city run around like lunatics and just go everywhere and 
stay out all night and have fun and play the show the next day and then head back home afterwards. So yeah. we were down there a lot uh, for a couple years. Um, and even one time I went down early and took a lesson with Joe Morello. Joe Morello is the famous drummer that played on Dave Rubick's Take 5. Oh, cool. Uh, he played okay. with him. And he would, he would give lessons out in New Jersey. So I remember driving into the city, dropping the guys off, and heading out to West Orange, New Jersey, and, and taking a lesson uh, one time with him out there. And it was, it was you know, life not a life-changing moment, but it was, like, pretty awesome to be in his presence and I talk bet. with him and, yeah. and, and you know, get, a, get a lesson with him and, and just kind of pick his brain about stuff. So yeah. it was cool. Wow. Yeah. When, what, what decade was this? Nineties. Nineties. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's when I moved there. Yeah. Yeah. He died. He died a little bit after that, but, uh, um, but we were playing at a place called on 46 called don't tell mama. Kind of one of those downstairs places where they have a front room where they would basically just have like a piano entertainer while you sit there and hang out. And then they had two back rooms where people would like basically rent out and sell tickets to, and they would do little shows back there. And they call it, it's on restaurant row is where it was oh, right okay. next to where the theater, all the theaters, all those theaters on 46 people would go yeah. and yeah. have dinner down there and right. then go and catch the theater show and stuff like that. It was a really neat time. I mean, it was fun. New York was, you know, quote unquote safe by then it, it had been all Giuliani'd. Oh, okay. So know. it was after that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. During that, you that know, was, it that became was... more, then it became more like, like we wanted to go to Times Square, go to gritty Times Square, and we get down there. We're like, "Where's all the yeah. gritty?" And we're like, "Oh, it's a block over." Yeah, yeah. I got to witness some of that transformation because yeah. we we moved there. My, my my friend Paul and I and his girlfriend Marla moved there in uh, late '93. And when Paul and I went there apartment hunting, uh, the it was right before it was a few weeks before that election uh, that Giuliani won. Yeah, and we did. <laughs> we actually witnessed a like a a, a fringe candidate. Uh, interrupting a street performance in Washington, Washington square park, which was hilarious that some, some dude who was also running for mayor, or at least he was trying to get his name on the ballot. I think just uh. this, this random guy. And there was some big street performer doing these, these sort of acrobatic, uh, tr- guys doing and right in the center where that fountain is. Yeah. And so this guy just walks in the middle of their show and starts, starts giving his a speech, speech. <laughs> <laughs> to the crowd that there was, that had formed there for the performers and not him. And the guys took his briefcase and threw it over the crowd. Like, yeah. Get out of here. That's awesome. And everybody was cheering. Was yeah, like, that's, that's, I loser. love that shit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so when, uh, obviously by the time we moved there, um, Giuliani had won that election. And of course he took office in January. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was weird. Next year. But I, so I witnessed like, the, 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 obviously the Times Square was a huge thing that happened kind of gradually over the next couple of years. It kind of turned into Disneyland, which it still is to this yep. day. And, uh, but also the East village, which is where I spent most of my time on the weekends and stuff to go. That's where most of the cool clubs were and to go yeah. see bands and stuff. Uh, you know, CBGBs, obviously I used to go, there's a band, uh, a club called Brownies on, I think it was second Avenue that I used to go to a lot. A place called the sidewalk, uh, our sidewalk cafe had a place called the fort, which I think that's still there anyway. But, uh, going down when you, when you, you take the, I lived up in the upper, I lived on the upper East side. So I take the, the green line or the, take the express or the six, it's the six or the one of those express, the two or the three. I can't remember what the express number trains were. I think it's the two and the three, but anyway, you go down to Astor place and then you walk, walk, you know, St. Mark's into the East village. And, uh, so you have to walk through a lot of, a lot of kind of dirty, uh, Back then, <laughs> this St. Mark's is, is the uh, the thing I was trying to get to. You couldn't walk down St. Mark's back in those days before Giuliani right. cleaned it up without 
somebody trying to sell you drugs at least three times sure. before you got to the end of that block. That there was that was kind of like the the window into the East Village was St. Mark's. So right there, we had um, um, it's all gone now. There used to be St. Mark's Pizza, Continental, the Continental, not you know, not no relation to the Continental Club in Houston and Austin. Mm-hmm. Continental was a punk rock club back in those days. It's actually still there. Now it's like some kind of stupid, um, it's not even a music venue anymore. I think it's, it's like some kind of cocktail bar or something. <laughs> and then the, the, the anarchy car, the anarchy cafe, which later turned into a McDonald's ironically. Wow. Um, and then, so you go down St. Mark's and there's all these great, you know, funky looking stores. The, the, the closest thing I can think to anybody who's not familiar with St. Mark's, or at least what St. Mark's used to be. It, it's kind of, kind of like the curve uh, the Westheimer area, the curve area of Westheimer, all these kind of funky Montrose yeah. shops and things like that. It's, it's, that's kind of what it, that's what the East village in general kind of reminds me of Montrose a little bit. Um, but when you, you go, you go and spend a night down in, in uh, East village and you have to walk back to the, to the subway to get home, uh, you'd be walking past drug addicts, just lying out, you know, shooting yeah. up. Oh yeah. Just yeah. in the open, you know, no, not even trying to hide it. Just, just passed out on doorsteps and yeah, stuff. And rough. And uh, of course, you know, you get there, people are trying to sell you drugs, and you see them using them. And Giuliani got rid of all of that. Mm-hmm. That that was gone within like a year or two of him. Of him, uh, mm-hmm. you know. So that was. And I, I, I don't. I definitely didn't miss that, you know. <laughs> but uh, th- th- I think that the. the the extent to which he went, it kind of, it kind of, like it was almost, he was almost like sterilizing it. I think a little too it much. Kind of went a little too far. A little too far, yeah. I mean, it's not. It's, you don't, you don't want to go anywhere that's dangerous, but right. you also want to be like. I mean, I, th- I think a lot of it has to do with. Also, I think a lot of it has to do with, like the clubs, like the clubs that you and I probably and w- would enjoy. Like you said, when it became McDonald's, you know, CBGB is now a John Vervedos clothing store. You know, a high fashion designer clothing <laughs> right. store. It's like that kind of shit. Kind of, kind of makes me upset. I. I you know, helping, helping, you know, homeless or, 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 you know, drug users is one thing, but just completely whitewashing, literally whitewashing <laughs> every, yeah. everything is, is, is not necessarily a, a, a good answer either. I don't think. One of the most annoying things he did in this, um, this was part of his quality of life campaign as, as they called it at the, at the time. There used to be, when you, when you go to the, uh, the Met, the Metropolitan mm-hmm. Museum of Art, which was pretty close to where I lived. It's about maybe a fifteen minute walk from my apartment. There would uh, there would always be like this this big art show out there. There would always be these uh, vendors with uh, their tables set up, and they'd be selling their own artwork. Sure, um, right on the right on the the steps of not on the steps, but you know, somewhere in that that big. Yeah, yeah. I don't. And, and the Met is this huge, this massive uh, plaza old building. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's a beautiful building. Um, and so he got rid of all that. I think he. I don't know if they, I can't remember if they just. Uh, outlawed it completely, but, or, or tried to charge like all the guys. Cause I think there was, there was no regulation. I think at the time, I think the artists would just set up their table and sell their stuff and nobody would. They started charging a, a, a th- yeah, booth, the, booth fee or something. He like did that, something. Maybe. Yeah. That, yeah. that kind of well, just shut the whole thing down, which was a shame. Yeah. So things like that, you know, just the good old days. Yeah. Just a little bit too, too, without really getting political. We'll just say, ah, oh, the good old days. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, New York was always New York was always fun, and and also what we try to do too is I would I would grab a Village Voice and try to see who's playing that yeah. night. Especially back then, I know since I was super into jazz back then, we'd go to the uh, we go to the uh, we go to Birdland, or we'd uh, try to go to um, Vanguard or the Iridium or wherever somebody was playing that was that was kind of cool, and we get to see a lot of uh, interesting 
you know, people, a lot of heroes of mine, I, could, I got to see them play when I was down there. Yeah. Just because it's just like, oh, Roy Haynes is playing at the, at the, at Birdland. We have to go. And I remember, where was Birdland? Oh my God. You're asking me the hard questions now. This is, you know, it's a long time ago. I don't really remember. Yeah. Maybe. I, we can Google it, I, I guess. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Want to find out where it is. But, you know, Birdland is the club, you know, that, that they named after Charlie Parker. Right. From back in the 50s. Of course, yeah. And the night that I was there, Roy Haynes was playing, and the announcer said, by the way, not only do we have one of the greatest drummers in jazz history, we have a man who actually played the opening night of Birdland with Charlie Parker, wow. which was Roy Haynes. And this is back in 99, so Roy was probably in his 70s. Yeah. Or late, late 70s by then. And he... He tore it up, man. He was, he's so good. He's crazy. He's still right. alive. He's, he's, he's still slowing down a little bit now, but back then, I mean, he was just ridiculous. 60s or 70s? How old is he now? Probably in the 60s back then, because I think he just turned 80-something or 90-something. I don't remember. I can Google yeah. that, too. But, you know, but trying to actually go out and... It cost money. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't cheap. Like, the, the Roy Haynes night was, I think it was 25 or $30 to get in, plus mm. a two-drink or... $25 minimum per person. I took one of my students with me. He was playing percussion with us, with that gal. And I said, this is part of your music education. I'm going to treat you to this. You need to see Roy Haynes play drums. And it, you know, he was, he would blow his mind. He had a great time. So, cool. Yeah. I have to look that up. I'll put, I'll put some of the stuff, all the stuff we're talking about. I'm going to assemble yeah. some links for the, for the yeah, show. Notes definitely for this all over the map right yeah. now with what we're talking. This about. is cool though. <laughs> I don't get to talk about New York that much. Yeah. No, it's, 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 it's me and Leslie were just there in 20, 16 and just just basically we were staying in brooklyn and uh we took i think we took the train over i don't remember how we get around and then we met a couple friends of ours for lunch and then we're just like well you know we're kind of you know leslie hasn't really been to new york to to hang what should we do and they said take the boat ride take the boat around the around the circle line the circle line oops sorry just watch the microphone Take the boat and, 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 and see New York from the water. So we did. Yeah. And he had a blast. It yeah. was so much fun. It was a yeah. beautiful day. It was super sunny. It went up to, we went to almost all the bridges and then came back around and saw the Statue of Liberty, saw yeah. all the bridges. It was great. We had a blast, man. Yeah. So much fun. Yeah. My dad and I went on the circle uh, boat. I think it's the circle line. Or something. I think it's what it's called. Yeah. We did that once. It was really, it was gorgeous. It was a good time. It was really yeah. cool. Great. That's the only time I ever did touristy stuff is when people came to visit me there. <laughs> Like my dad would come and we'd go do stuff or yeah, my, my friends would go and that, that like I'd take them to the empire state or something. Yeah, We bought it. We actually went online and, and, uh, and, uh, we bought fast passes. We spent a lot of money to buy these fast passes because like to buy a ticket, we knew that a regular ticket, we knew that the weight was, cause it was summertime. It was like, we were up there in like late June or early July. Um, and, uh, and, uh, so we like bypassed the whole line and go get around the elevator, went up to the top and had a, had a blast. Yeah. 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 Um, New York city, baby. What was I going to say? Oh, um, my dad and I, when he, whenever he would visit me, we would go to this jazz club called Bradley's down in, uh, in Greenwich village. Oh, nice. I can't remember exactly what street it was on, but it's, it's a shame. It was one of those legendary pubs that had been around jazz, jazz club. It had been around for several decades, I think, but it, it, it shut down while I was living there. Mm. It was a big deal. I remember people were yeah. pissed off about it. I remember it. it was a big deal hearing about all the, on what is 47th or 48th where all the music stores were. Yeah. And all those music stores shutting down. I'm yep. just like, God, this is. This yeah. Is it's the, everything, nothing, nothing is the same anymore. And it, it, I, I really, I miss the city. I want to go back, but I, I know that nothing, you know, like almost nothing I remember is the same. 
Um, but yeah, that, that, that's where Sam Ash was on mm-hmm. that. Sam Ash and Manny's were the two big stores on that. There was a bunch of stores, but those were the two yeah. big ones. And, uh, I bought my, uh, my first bass guitar there on that oh, street, sweet. my first bass amp. I bought, I can't remember which was which, <laughs> but I know I, I bought it. My, I still have these, uh, still have both of these things. The, the amp didn't work anymore. The bass, the bass needs some work. I haven't used the bass in years. It was, a uh, an Ibanez, a uh, sound gear bass is, uh, black, uh, black, uh, shiny, glossy mm-hmm. finished bass. I bought that. I think I bought that at, at Sam Ash. But I bought the bass at one place, and then, and then I bought the hard, a hard key uh, combo amp at at, uh, at I think that was it. Maybe it was Sam Ash. I don't know. Think about the bass at Sam Ash and the, the amp at Manny's. Yeah. Like that. Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, uh, but I was walking into the at least the drum store, the drum start store part of it too was like, I mean, all the pictures of all the guys that had bought stuff there, all these autographs and stuff like that. You know, the history of like you know people that have passed through those doors is is pretty remarkable. Yeah. You know, especially you know back in the you know 40s and 50s and 60s and stuff like that all those jazz guys yeah but yeah anyway yeah that's a shame you know like i was saying all, all the clubs i used to go to are, are, are gone now that the cbs cbjvs is gone brownies is gone the cooler is gone uh wetlands is gone yeah everything i, I don't think there's anything bottom line's gone <laughs> yeah uh it's really it's really it really it really sucks the only one I know that's there is the Bowery Ballroom, I think, is still... Oh, really? Is still functioning, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, some of those bigger venues. I, I know, I think Irving Plaza is still there. Yeah. And uh, the Supper Club, I think, is still there. Maybe. Maybe the Supper Club's there. I saw some great... I, that was one of my... One of the best shows I ever saw was at... Um, was at Supper Club. I saw David Byrne play there. Oh, wow. Uh, back in, uh, I don't know, it was 90, 94, 95. He was touring on his, his self-titled album. This is back when he said he had long shorter length hair at the mm-hmm. time and and it was a uh, general admission so we, we were able to get all the way up to the, the front of the stage nice which is the closest i've ever gotten <laughs> to him <laughs> it reminded me a bit of uh when i saw tim machine uh, david bowie's uh band dude i know t- i can tell you stories about tim machine you really i love fucking tin machine oh. i love tin machine oh we should have started off with this. exactly <laughs> i saw uh, pa- patrick and i actually it was one of the one of the many times that patrick and i crossed paths with before we met each other mm-hmm. officially uh, Tim Machine played in Houston in '92, I think. It might have been early '93, actually. Um, they went around that long, so yeah. yeah. It was when they're touring on their second album, yeah. And they played at this place called the Back Alley, which was later for for a short time was rebranded as Rockefeller's uh, West, I think. Uh, the building's still there. I think it's a dance club now. Mm. But uh, yeah, that, but we got to get up really close to David. It was so surreal seeing Bowie that close. I know. <laughs> so tell me, what what are the stories? Let's so we. Uh, so I had a band, I was, I was in, still in college in Plymouth, New Hampshire, and um, and the guitar player just showed up one day with this record, this 10 Machine record. And I looked at him like, hey, that's David Bowie. He's like, yeah, we got, this is a new band, you got to check it out. And he played that, you know, the very first, I can't remember, the, the uh, Heavens in Here, that bomb, ba dum I was like, what the fuck is this? Yes. Um, and so, you know, and listened to that record and then became an instant fan of Hunt Sales. Who currently lives in Austin? Yeah. Oh, who cool. I, we used to when I first moved to Austin, he and I would hang out a bunch. I no just, kidding. We, I kind of fanboyed a little bit, and and uh, and I kept it cool. And he, used to, he came to my show one time, and I did something. He's like, "Hey, that was cool. What were you doing there?" I'm like, "Hunt Sales wants to ask me about what I'm doing. Awesome. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um. But um. And so that first record came out, and we and we did a lot. Played the you know played the the laser etchings off that CD or whatever it was. And then when the second record came out, they were on tour, and I finally went to go see him at the at the Orpheum Theater uh, down in Boston. 
Oh, cool. And, and, and the greatest thing about that show, besides it being great. And every time they showed up somewhere like, like on TV or whatever, I was always watching it. You know, growing up where I grew up is hard to get to places to play in the Orpheum. I got tickets. Um, Orpheum is a small theater with a balcony, kind of an old school, um, they they might have done like uh, plays or minstrel shows back in the eighteen hundreds. There, kind of an yeah. old old theater. Yeah, but and it's cool because it's kind of down an alley. So you walk in, you turn left or right down this alley, and at the end of the alley is the building. It's kind of a neat setup in, in Boston. And uh, I remember like after the first couple of songs, I mean they were just tearing it up, and they were broadcasting it live on WBZ, which they used to do a lot of times back then. The audience was kind of perplexed. Because they're th- they, they all they hear is David Bowie, right? And so they think he's going to play David Bowie shit. And if you knew David Bowie or knew the history if of David really Bowie, him, yeah. you would know that he does not do the same thing mm-hmm. on every album, right? Or every tour, everything is different. Yeah. And this year, these couple of years, it was Ten Machine, which is the most different thing I think for him. He'd been doing because it was like a, like a, not a hard rock band, but like a very much bluesy. Well, I guess it was like a hard rock band. They were gritty and weird, gritty and, and weird, and, and like, challenging. Just for, like for most people listen to, like yeah. That. And 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 the way that they, they would change tempos and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, when Hunt would just like, we're gonna go fast now. Fuck yeah. it, we're going fast. Yeah. Or now we're gonna slow down, and now I'm gonna stop on a dime. You know, and the weirdness of it. Um, they were they were not having it. They were just like. Song would end, they'd be like, "Yay!" And I'm in the back. I'm <laughs> oh, in the back, no. going, "Yes, this is awesome!" You know, that's crazy. Yeah. And then, you know, they broke up, of course. Yeah. And then 10 years later, I'm in Austin and I'm at Joe's Coffee on South Congress and I turn around and there's Hunt Sales sitting there smoking a cigarette and drinking a cup of coffee. And I was like, hey. And we just struck up a conversation and I said, hey, man, you know, that, that drum intro on, uh, on If There Is Something off that second record, the way those drums sound, holy shit. He's like, man, I got to tell you, I went in there one day. We had all the drums mic'd up just perfectly. They sounded so great. Producer comes in, changed everything, fucked it all up, man. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. So, yeah. So, we would, we would, we would chat. Actually, and then we had PASIC, the Percussive Art Society Convention, was in Austin in 2012. And I was doing interviews with drummers. And I reached out to him and said, hey, man, if you're in town, come on down. Let's do an interview. You know, I got some time. And I'm all set up. I had all my gear set up. You know, and I could have interviewed him any time. Uh, but I was just, it was just convenient then. He's like... Oh, uh, he's like, I'll, I'll come down, but I don't really have time to do the interview. I said, okay, just come down and hang out. And he came down and, uh, and, uh, we were talking. He's like, man, I really want to get in and see Zildjian. I, so I called my buddy, John DeChristopher, who was the, he was a Zildjian, he was the Zildjian A&R guy. I'd been there for a thousand years. He's a, he's a buddy of mine. I said, Hey man, Hunt Sales is here. He's like, bring him in. So I brought him in and brought him to Zildjian and, uh, Lenny Demuzio, who used to be, Oh, it was Lenny's job. Lenny was with Zildjian for about a thousand years and he knew everybody in the business. Lenny was one of those old school music business guys that knew everybody. I'd never met him before, but I saw him. I was like, Lenny, my name is Eric. I'm with Percussive Art Society. On sales this year, he's like, what? And gave him the, like, the biggest hug in the world and they talked for, I left him alone. They were talking. Yeah. So I have, and I have a really cool picture of Lenny and Hunt talking with each other, which I just sent to him. I said, oh, I found this picture. I thought you might like it and sent it to Hunt. Oh, cool. And Lenny, of course, passed away just a few years after that because oh. he was so old. But, but you know, yeah. And this, the, the man, those Tin Machine records, though, just, Yeah. Phew. Oh, last story about Tin Machine. Yeah. A buddy yeah. of ours back in New Hampshire, Tom Yoder, used to live across the hallway from Reeves Cabrels. 
mm. who was back in Boston. Yeah. Reeves lived in Boston for right. a long, long time. Right. And so Tom lived across the street, across the hall, and they were kind of, Tom's a guitar player, really good guitar player. At least he was back then. I don't know what he's doing now. And, you know, good friends with Reeves, and they would talk about gear and stuff like that. And and Tom loved Reeves' sound so much that he basically pieced out, like, because back then, uh, this is back in the, I guess, late 80s, early 90s, Reeves was playing through a Roland jazz chorus guitar amp, mm. had a Stratocaster, mm-hmm. had all these different effects pedals, and, and, and Tom would listen to him play, and he would kind of, and so one day he's like, hey, Reeves, come over and check out my, check out my, uh, my gear setup. And he walks in, he's got the Stratocaster and the, the jazz chorus, Roland jazz chorus, amp and all these pedals, and Reeves is like, oh, awesome. Hey, that's just like my old setup. He's like, what do you mean your old setup? He think goes next door and he's like, well, you know, David Bowie just called. I'm going to play with a band called Tin Machine now. He opens the door and he's got all brand new, like <laughs> top of the line gear with those Steinberger guitars and all that crazy shit. So, yeah, yeah. And Tom's just like, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a, such a great story that the, the way that Reeves and Bowie met. Yeah. Um, did you ever get to meet Reeves? No. No. Yeah. I just had to, I mean, by then, I mean, this is, you know, this is yeah. years after, after the, fact the whole thing. And, right? and, yeah. and just hunt. And I, I would like to have met Tony. Uh, you know, Hunt's brother. I mean, he's still around somewhere. I don't know yeah. where he lives now, but, but, uh, but yeah, Hunt's a trip. If you ever, we'll get up there and he's around. We got to, we got to say, yeah, absolutely. I love him. He's, he's great. Be he's so cool. He's got a new band called the Hunt Sales Memorial and he's just tearing it up. Nice. He's, he's doing great. Yeah. I, um, I got to meet, I, I met Reeves briefly at Brownie's, the, the place I was talking about in New York. It was, uh, I can't remember what year it was, but he was, it was a summer, I think it was in the summertime when he was between stuff with Bowie because he continued he, after Tim Machine. For yeah, a he was for a while. He continued. He played all throughout the nineties. Yeah. I think up until ninety nine. I think he was working with him um, on every album, and uh, so he was. He was. He was uh, playing with his, with another band called Modern 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 Farmer, uh, and a band out of Austin it was one of his. I think some old friends of his. I think, um, and they're they're pretty good. Yeah. Um, it wasn't that the songs weren't really my my cup of tea, but the. the <laughs> The, you know, it was just worth it to just stand there right in front of Reeves and yeah. get to watch him do his thing. Yeah. And, um, I, I told this story on a previous episode, but at, at when the, when the, when the show was over, I, I, you know, I had a couple of beers by this point. I was just on top of the world watching Reeves play. And I, I went up to shake his hand as soon as the set was over. Man, that was great. You know, blah, 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 blah. He goes, Oh, yeah, yeah. Just give me a second. Thank you, man. Um, just gonna, I got to get my stuff off the stage. Cause there's another band coming. Oh. <laughs> and I just hadn't, you know, I knew, you know, I know right. all about, get, you know, get the hell off the stage, but I wasn't thinking, you know, about it's, it's Reeves, you know, I, I guess I would, in the back of my head, I was thinking he had somebody else to do that for him. But right. He, exactly. But he yeah. was just a working, working class yeah. guy. Yeah, doing no, his thing awesome. that, that particular you know, night. It's, it's really fun. I mean, to say, you know, you saying that like first time I saw Matthew sweet was at the paradise in Boston, which is a tiny club. And I, you know, uh, I was a huge fan. That girlfriend record was out. And I was a huge fan. I wanted to go see him. And uh, it was so tiny that, you know, they say, I'm only, I'm only, if I stand up straight, I'm six foot tall. If I stand up straight mm-hmm. with my hair, I might be six foot one or two. Yeah. But the stage is so short that my knees were basically touching the top of the stage. And mm-hmm. I stood right in front. And, uh, and uh, uh, Ivan was playing uh, guitar with him. What's Ivan's last name? He's, He's so awesome. I can't, I'm going to blame all my fan, all my Matthew Sweet fans are going to be mad at me right now. But, um, <laughs> I, again, kind of a, like, like, just like pyrotechnic guitar player. And I remember my ears were so, cause I stood right in front of his amp. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, after that, it was a great show. 
And at the, at the end, I stuck my hand up and like, I haven't like slapped my hand. Like, yeah, that was awesome. You know, <laughs> that I couldn't hear for like a week after that. Cause it was so bad, yeah, but it's fun. It's fun seeing, you know, the, you know, bands like that in small yeah. venues or, or, or even just musicians like that in mm-hmm. small venues. Like, Oh, there's, there's so-and-so up on stage right now at the continental club or there's so-and-so on stage right now at the so-and-so club. It's, it's fun. To, it's fun to see that. Yeah, totally. You know, it's, it's funny that you're, you're, you, you're so into Tim Machine because Patrick and I were just weird. Patrick loves him as well. I already told you he was at that same show yeah. in Houston, as we found out later. But uh, we we were talking about you know doing three piece shows, which is something we're we're working up to here. Sure. Uh, and I said, man, wouldn't it be cool if we could do Crack City? Because we talked about oh uh, man, <laughs> it that you already that you actually know Hunt. I mean, that, yeah. that, wow, it's so perfect. We we have to do it now. But I was I've been listening to that that first record a lot. Well, it's funny because we got in the van the other night and you were doing something with your phone and it either USB or Bluetooth to, yeah, the, Bluetooth to the car. And I saw that the Tim machine came up really quick and yeah. I meant to say something about it, <laughs> but I was too busy re- reviewing yeah. for the, for the, for the, for the gig that night. And yeah, that, so, but then here we are. Yeah. So, yeah. That, that's been my, on my playlist for the past couple of weeks. Yeah, no, it's that. Yeah. I, I loved, I was bummed when they broke up, but I totally understand it too. And, yeah. and David's thing was, he, he said, I said, I read a quote, like, like, when that band was on, it was unstoppable. Mm-hmm. And when it was off, it was the worst god awful <laughs> thing you've ever heard. <laughs> right? <laughs> that could be any band, though. I mean, yeah. you can say that about anybody. But I, I just think it's just so great that he just totally embraced that for and let the band be a band. You know, yeah. for yeah. the time that he was doing it. And um, but yeah, when I when that came out, that was 1988, I think, when the first record came out. And uh, I was already a Bowie fan at that point, but like like most of my other friends who were in the Bowie, I was most mostly into seventies stuff, you know, because mm-hmm. this is, this is in the age of, you know, we'd had let's dance, we'd had tonight. And the most recent thing that had come out was never let me down mm-hmm. that record. Uh, and he, which he'd done the glass spiders tour on in 1987, the previous right. year, it was only one year before. It's crazy how in my, in my mind, it's like, there's like much more time between all sure. these things, but there was, yeah. time was very compressed in the eighties. Yeah. And so, I, I, you know, I was kind of disappointed with the stuff he had been done. He'd been doing most of that decade. I, I liked, yeah. I liked, I liked half, like never let me down that record. I bought it. I, I still, I still really enjoy the first half of the side a of that record. Side B, I still don't care for very much. And I never, I think I bought a cassette of tonight and I, I, I couldn't even listen to it. I didn't like any of it really, except for blue jean, that song. I'm probably, I'm a little softer on that stuff now. I think I like, I'm a little, little easier on it. So, in my the, the last album that he'd done that I thought was really fantastic was Scary Monsters, which came out in 1980. So when I heard about Tim Machine coming out, um, and I had no idea who the Sales Brothers were, I, knew, I didn't know about their their pedigree with 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 Iggy Pop before that and all that stuff because he had he Tom knew Rungren too. And Tom Rungren, okay, yeah, yeah. Which I I was thinking about it's a whole other tangent, but there, there's a lot of uh, Iggy on on Tim Machine stuff. You know, it sounds very much like Bowie was kind of channeling his. Ziggy pop. Yeah. I mean, that kind of like that and like that raw kind of stooges, like, yeah, just like we're going for it. Yeah. Particularly in songs like under the God and things like that. Yeah. But, um, so I I went and bought that record. It was one of the last, it was one of the last LPs I actually bought back in those days because LPs Mm -hmm. were on their way out at that point. CDs were taken over. Um, and I came back and my friend Dwight and I were roommates at the time living, living in this apartment complex. It's still there, like right down where Evans music city used to be, Mm -hmm. which closed not too long ago. And I put the record on and, you know, the first thing you hear on heaven, heavens in here, then, and then, uh, the blues riff. And then Bowie comes in with a, Ooh, uh, 
it would sounds to me, it sounded just like he was getting, as soon as I heard that, that vocal come in, I was like, Oh yes. (laughs) I knew that he was, he was back doing stuff that I, that I, that I was going to love. And I I was always puzzled by, I kind of understand the people who, who, who got into Bowie because of let's dance or any of the more poppy stuff wouldn't like that. I, I totally understand that, but it's surprised. It has surprised me over the years, how many Bowie fans I've encountered who actually do love his 70 stuff. You know, they, they're into low, they're into lodger and, and scary monsters and all that stuff. Diamond dogs, but they don't like Tim. I, I don't, I don't I get don't that get at all. Because I don't a lot understand of those, that. especially the first record, a lot of the best songs on there sound to me like an extension of that. And that's what Reeves was trying to get him because that, that was Reeves' favorite stuff too, and he was trying to get Bowie steering back in that direction too. Yeah, yeah. and that was why he eventually stopped working with Bowie because Bowie was. By the time he got into the two thousands, Bowie was had had told Reeves he wants to make more. He wants to make music that's more contemporary, more laid back. Basically, he, yeah. he wasn't interested in being weird and experimental anymore. Which is funny that he did. His last album is extremely <laughs> strange. Yeah, the, the the Dark Star. Black, yeah, Black Star. Black Star. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He kind of steered back in a direction I think that Reeves would have liked, but that's why there's a really great article I read where Reeves tells the whole, the whole story about why he left. I, I'd always just assume because David was in the pro was, if you look at his whole career, he, like you mentioned, he would change things up a lot, you know, not only the style of music and the way, you know, his hairstyles and his clothes, but the people he worked Bands, with as well. Yeah. 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 They were people he stuck with for a long period of time. Sure. Carlos Alomar was yeah. his band leader for a long time. Um, and uh, the, that, that rhythm section too, got Dennis Davis. Um, and I think George Murray was the, uh, they called themselves the damn trio. It was um, oh, nice. Davis, Alomar and Murray. Yeah. Uh, those guys played on all his late seventies stuff up through, up through scary monsters, I think. Um, but you know, then he did let's dance and Carlos was still there, but everybody else was gone. So I, I just always assumed that Reeves, that he had just, Stop working with Reeves because he was David Bowie. But now Reeves, he, he bailed. Yeah, no, I remember. <laughs> but, I think I read and that. Bowie he didn't said, want him to leave. Yeah, yeah. He said that he was just difference in musical opinion, basically. Yeah, and, yeah. And it's it's just, it's a shame because David Bowie really really loved him, you know, and, and really wanted to hang on to him. But mm-hmm. Reeves was like, oh, I'm getting this is getting boring, you yeah. know, which yeah. is crazy to say, you know. You know, most people dream of of being able to work with somebody. Yeah, of that. Well, I mean, it's of, like it's like a legendary like, status, like but, relationship too. You know, yeah, exactly. They, yeah, sometimes they work. Sometimes it's time for a change. And uh, he found out later. He says in the same interview, he mentions he found out later that Bowie wrote the song. Uh, I think it's called "Everyone Says Hello," which is off of uh, or "Everyone Says Hi." I think it's on. Uh, is it on Heathen? It's either on Heathen or Reality. I can't remember. <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say I don't know. I love all those old those, those old records too. It's funny that the last the last record he did with them, um, hours. Uh, do, do you remember that one? Mm-hmm. That was the last one that Reeves did with him. You can kind of hear. You listen to that and you compare it to stuff they'd done before. You can kind of hear. You can understand why Reeves was getting bored. Sure, it's a great album. I I, yeah. I think it's great, but it's definitely a lot less uh, a lot less adventurous than the things that they were doing up up until that point. It's funny. The coolest thing I think that I've ever seen, David, besides Tim Machine, that one time I saw him live, was um, there was a I, and, and don't judge me on this, but back in the day in the nineties, probably middle late nineties, Victoria's Secret would do a fashion show, and it, and it would be on live, it would be on TV. Yeah, remember this? No, you're okay. So 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 Victoria's Secret for a couple of years, whatever CBS or whoever would show these Victoria fashion 
uh, Victoria's Secret fashion shows and they'd have a live band play with them. Right, right. And one year it was David Bowie. Okay. And I said, well, I'm going to watch this for David Bowie mm-hmm. and maybe the girls, but really for David Bowie. <laughs> fucking man, they fucking killed on that show. And I didn't know a single song that they played because it was all like new stuff. It was all, it wasn't like, Hey, we're going to visit our back catalog. He was doing all new stuff. Okay, His hair good. was bright red, had like a bright red, like soul patch thing going yeah, yeah. on, you know? Yeah. The really tall girl was playing, the ball girl was playing bass. Yeah. Gail, um, Gail and Dorsey and uh, Reeves was playing guitar. Mm-hmm. And, um, Oh, what's that drummer's name? He's so good. Um, oh, uh, Sterling Campbell? Sterling Campbell yeah. was playing drums, and man, they laid waste to that place. And I'm sure that everyone there had no idea what was happening. Yeah. Because there's a bunch of half-naked chicks walking on the stage. Right. But <laughs> but I do remember like being like enthralled by that, yeah. by the music. I was just like, oh my God, this is the greatest stuff I've ever heard. Probably 97 or 98, I think, yeah. is when that, that was happening. right. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was um during his that period where he was uh I think he just come out with Outside and Earthling was the record after that. Um so he was he was uh playing a lot of uh, deep cuts from his catalog back then. It was the new stuff, but there was also deep Yeah, deep maybe cuts it was like, stuff that I didn't I, I didn't yeah. recognize. I've always been a cursory, you know, yeah, David Bowie fan. Although that let that let's dance stuff is just I get it cuz it's the 80s, but oh my goodness. It's rough. Yeah, I, I do like, I do like, uh, I was thinking about this the other day. I, I, Let's Dance, I, I like the, the, you know, the three big ones off that record. I like Let's Dance, I like China Girl, I like, uh, um, what's the other one? Modern Love, the one that starts off. I think, I think those are great songs. You don't like that one? Uh, <laughs> I think, I think, I think it just, it just puts me in a time and place that yeah. when, when music was, to me, was just kind of like, oh, David Bowie has a new record out, but it was so poppy and accessible. Yeah. That I was just like, oh, this is not really yeah, what I want to hear right, right now. Right, right. Plus, I was really big into metal then. Anyway, I think so. I think one of the reasons why it it it, it, it uh, doesn't hit me that way is because I I didn't really get to appreciate him until later. Mm-hmm. You know, it was when this girl that I was into at the time in, in high school, we used to trade tapes and uh, she'd loan me records and stuff like that. Nice. She she was she was really it was it was her and my good friend Nathan at the same time. It was all in the same year. We were back in those you know when you're fifteen, sixteen, you're all discovering things and sharing things yeah. with each other. But she she gave me she loaned me her copy of Space Oddity. Uh, so that was really how I got into. But obviously, Let's Dance had already come out at, at that point, right. so it didn't offend me <laughs> when it came out. So it was like I, I kind of got into him kind of recursed like in, in reverse in a way. Like yeah, I started no, off I with his that, first record, yeah. and I was like. Okay, so he's doing this kind of stuff now, but I'm going to discover his early stuff. Yeah, that's now. awesome. But um, well, I was that way with Todd Rundgren too. When, oh, I, really? when I first discovered Todd Rundgren, that's somebody I don't I don't really know much about. <sighs> Man, I know who he's produced. And, yeah, he's, uh, yeah, obviously. Yeah. yeah, I was just listening to um, I forget what it is. What the name of that band was that he was in? Because I was I was reading about the Ruddles, who are who are another. Uh, one of my favorite things. Those guys are fun. Yeah. He was in the Naz back in the right. 60s. But there, there was a band that he was in uh, that were, it was after the Ruddles did their thing that they, they decided they were going to do a whole record. Oh, Utopia. Utopia. Yeah. Utopia. Yeah. Where they did a whole record that was deliberately, uh, we're only Beatles. in it for the money or, yes. or deface the music or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Deface the music. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. I think the Ruddles are, we're only in it for the money. Right. 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 Or it was all, all you need is cash. All you need is cash. Yeah. Uh, I think we're only in it for the money. I think it was a Frank Zappa thing. Anyway, that anyway. Frank Zapp. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah. Tell to get old. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. I I, I I don't know much about this. That's somebody I haven't really delved into much. 
He's one of those guys that I don't, I'm not, not the same as David Bowie, but every album you're going to get something probably different. Right. Similar, but a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah. And then, God damn, in the 90s, he went on this whole rap kick. That was rough. That was, rap? Really? Yeah, rap. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was, it was hip hop and rap kind of stuff. It was a little weird. I know. Um, <laughs> but yeah. No, but he's, he's one of my, Todd's one of my favorites. And, and at okay. first, like, I knew Hello, It's Me, because it was on the radio all the time. Even growing up, you always heard Hello, It's Me. And then, like, in the 80s, we were in college, and my buddy Steve, who was a big David Bowie fan, yeah, we, we were going on this little road trip, he and I together, to go to a, a couple gigs. He's like, oh, I got the I got World Party's Goodbye Jumbo, and I got the new Todd Rundgren record. I'm like, ooh, let's hear what this new Todd Rundgren, because I had known him, but I didn't really know anything new about him. And then he played this nearly human record, and we played that record the whole trip. Wow. We constant rotation and it's so good. And like you with Bowie, then I started digging going backwards. Yeah, that's right. And I found the something, anything record and all the early stuff, the acapella record, which is basically him doing all the sounds and vocals with his voice. Like even the guitar sounds and the drum sounds was all like his voice, like that kind of, that kind of crazy shit. Like, but obviously super processed. Yeah. And then he layers, you know, bass lines and guitar lines using just his vocals on top of it and then singing on top. It's crazy. That boy's nuts. My, my, there's two things I think of when I think of Todd Rundgren and it's, um, one is when I, the only time I actually saw him in person was Blackers were playing at Fado. And this is back when Antones was still right there in that corner of, um, whatever it's fifth, fifth and, fifth and uh, Guadalupe and yeah, I think it's fifth and Lavaca. And uh, so the, you, you go in the alleyway to behind Fado and the, the, the stage doors or the back, the rear doors of, of, of Antones were right there. And I knew I'd, I'd heard this is one particular night. I'd, I'd heard that Todd yeah, was yeah. playing there that yeah. night. And I went out between sets uh, to the, to the alleyway just to, just to chill for a second. And, and Todd's leaning out the back door with a cigarette, <laughs> this long gray, you know, oh, yeah. you know hair. pepper yeah. hair. And uh, it was like, huh. There's Todd. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I saw him with U- Utopia. Actually, did a tour last year, and they came to town. Oh, cool! And uh, last time they came, last time Todd came through, Leslie's Leslie's friends with Prairie Prince, who's the drummer for Todd. He played. He's been playing drums with Todd. He used to play in the Tubes a band called the Tubes. Remember them from the eighties? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Way yeah. Built right, yeah. yeah. Two yeah. years later. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. So he, so yeah. She, she knew she knew Prairie from uh, the East the Bay area back when she lived in California. And so when they came to town, we reached out and he's like, yeah, come on, come see the show, whatever, whatever. And so, and I knew that the la- the first time they, they all stayed at the Four Seasons downtown. So after Utopia played, I'm like, I bet you they're staying at the Four Seasons. So I went and I sat down at the bar and waited <laughs> and waited and waited. And then Todd came through the door and I ran over like a lunatic. I'm probably, he probably thought I was some crazy <laughs> man. I was just like, Todd, 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 I've been a fan for a long time. I never got a chance to meet him and just said, Hey, uh, you know, my, my partner's good friends with Prairie Prince. He's like, oh, that's cool. I was like, can we get a picture? Sure. So I got a picture. His wife, Michelle, took the picture. And they own a tiki bar on Kauai, uh, over in Hawaii, that I want to go to at some point. So I'm a big tiki bar fan. Okay. But just getting a chance to say hello to him and meet him was just like a dream come true. Yeah. I mean, after seeing him for so many years and hearing about him for so many years. So fun. This is like, we need to call this like, you know, Chad and Eric geek out on music yeah. podcast or whatever. <laughs> That's what the podcast is for, though. I love, I love this. Yeah, and the the other thing that, that makes me the, the, the first time I actually became aware of him was when he produced um, the XDC XDC's oh, the record. record. The, yeah, Skylarking. 
You which I love you, that I, record. I love XCC too. Yeah, you? Oh, yeah. fuck yeah, yeah, dude. That's, I don't, not, again, I don't know a whole lot. I, I, I got that record when it came out. I can't remember why. Oh, I know why. I can't remember this now. There was, there was, it was reviewed in, in Rolling Stone. And this was the same time Skylarking and, and Dukes of Stratosphere, uh, Chips of the, of the Chocolate Fireball. The second Dukes of Stratosphere record had come out right around the same time. Hmm. So there was a, like a review of somebody had reviewed both albums in the same article. Right. So I was like, Oh, I got to get this. Cause I heard it. I was mainly interested in Dukes, but you know, they said that both, both of them are kind of Beatlesque and psychedelic psychedelic. So I went and bought both LPs and, uh, the, so that's how I found out who took, I think I've heard, I'd already, I knew of Todd, but I didn't really know that much about him. Mm-hmm. So that, that was my introduction to him was his production on that record. Oh, which nice. is amazing. Although I've, I understand, I found out later that wasn't a really happy experience. Very <laughs> challenging. They didn't really enjoy working with him. Yeah. That he was very, like he, he chose which songs they were going to record. And, and he also chose the order. The order. And, yeah. and you know, those first couple of songs are kind of like nature connected kind of a right. thing with the, with the buzzing and the sounds and stuff like that. Yeah. That was all his idea. That's not what they wanted. Right. Um, do you, have you read that? Have you read the, uh, the, the book, the, uh, um, I can see it from here. It's next to the, uh, Bill Graham book. Um, uh, Andy Partridge book. Oh no, no, oh, you're, you're taking that book home today. Okay. You got to read that book. Cool. It's fucking awesome. Um, but so a buddy of mine had heard the song, dear God on mm. Canadian yeah. radio. Yeah. And, and they, he, so we went to, we were, we took this buddy road trip down to Littleton, which is about 60 miles from my hometown, but it was the only place you could buy. Like my dad's store has closed, has closed by then. So that's the only place you could buy like new records, like the newest of the new records. Mm-hmm. And of course CDs were out by then. So he bought the XTC album because he heard that song and, and and i was like what is this all about and he's like he's like yeah I know, I, I, it's like puritan rock i mean they look like they're dressed like puritans on the album <laughs> right, yeah, and whatever yeah and so i was like okay cool and then i listened to it i was like holy smokes i love these guys mm-hmm. and then orange and lemons came out have you mm-hmm. heard that record yeah i bought that one too and then you, none such came out after that yeah got that one those three for me are like three of the greatest english rock albums yeah they're just so good mm-hmm. i mean and and the the, uh, the drumming of course you got you got Prairie Prince is on uh, is on uh, uh, Skylarking. Oh yeah, okay. You got Pat Mastelato from Mister Mister at the time is on Orange and Lemons. Oh, and um, um, oh, he's from a Fairport convention. Um, uh, Dave. Um, anyway, the drumming on all three of those records is fantastic. Yeah, I mean the drumming is just again. Who played on Dukes? Do, do you do you remember that? I don't know. Yeah. Um, there's really good, great drumming on that one as well. You know they had you know they had the band XCC was together for a long time right and then once they did Skylarking they just kind of and of course Prairie and Todd knew each other so Todd said we'll get Prairie Prince to play drums on 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 this one mm-hmm. and then when they oh, went, okay. and then they got more money so then they well the Pat Mastelato got recommended because Pat's a, I mean Mister Mister is one thing but Pat's drumming is super ridiculous he yeah. plays with King Crimson now and then oh, that's um, right that's right yeah yeah and then they got oh uh, Dave oh Dave Maddox not Dave Maddox yeah. I can't remember. God, I'm losing my brain. I can't remember anything anymore in these days. I got to look at stuff, look at stuff up now. Mm-hmm. Anyway, drummer for none such is great. And then on, uh, Apple Venus volume one, which is the last XTC record I got Prairie did the drums on, on that one. And that record's fantastic. Okay. Too. Yeah. yeah. I need to go back and listen to a lot of that stuff. I, I kind of it's crazy after none such, I kind of not checked out, but I just kind of didn't. I bought the, I bought the, or, the, 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 uh, the, uh, Apple Venus volume one. And I do and, have that somewhere. And I was like, Okay, I get a little bit more, a little more ambient, not quite yeah. so straight ahead kind of stuff. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and it's a beautiful album. I mean, the whole album is beautiful. But by then, I think I was also kind of like you, kind of like moving on to okay, what's next? What's right. Next kind of thing. But um, yeah, that yeah, that book you're gonna, you're gonna like that book okay. a lot. 
It basically Thank tells you. the history of XTC through songs. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. And it's Andy talking about like growing up and wherever he grew up. And then, and there's a great documentary about them. Have you seen the documentary? It was on Showtime. I forget what it's called, no. but there's an XTC documentary out there. If you can find it online, it's awesome. Cool. And it talks all about the Todd situation. Okay. Yeah. The pictures look like they're having fun, but they didn't have any fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I love hearing about stories like that. And sometimes the, the great works, great, great albums like that are just the story. <laughs> it's not, not it's, always what yeah, you might it's, think. It's definitely punishing. Um, I was going to say, yeah, my, my favorite thing about, uh, Duke, my, my favorite stuff that they did is still Dukes of Stratosphere. That, that, uh, you can buy, you know, the CD that you get now has, because the, the, the first one was, was an EP, uh, 25 o'clock, I think it was called. And then the second one is the, the one that I first bought, but you can buy it, you buy the CD, it has both of them oh, nice. on, on one thing. Yeah. Now. But, uh, the, my favorite thing about that, that record is Colin Molding's, uh, bass playing on that is, amazing yeah no yeah so more, speak, pe- more people need to listen to that because yeah stuff so he's speaking doing. of a guy that is like you know had been influenced by you know definitely paul mccartney oh yeah and, you know, paul mccartney was influenced by james jamerson and and and, and it's kind of like you can hear the evolution of it, both their bass playing on their records like you know beginning it's like you know paul's doing his thing but then like you hear stuff later on in the beatles and it's like his bass playing is like so melodic mm-hmm but what I like about Colin's bass playing is that it's not only melodic, but it's also, um, it's like counterpoint. Mm-hmm. It's like, he's playing different melody and I, I can sing his bass line. There's so melodic. You can sing his bass lines. Yeah. And yeah. It, it's a real treat for, you know, for drummers to hear guys like Colin play because it's like, he's not necessarily holding down the groove. He's interwoven himself in the groove, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. His bass playing is fantastic. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. I, yeah. Because you're a bass player. Didn't you get the door? No, he's just male guys just dropping some shit. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I, I think, uh, again, I need to go back and listen to their stuff, but I, I think on, on the Duke's Stratosphere stuff, he's really cutting loose a lot more than he probably would have cause, because they're having fun and yeah. he's just deliberately kind of going over the top. Yeah. Well, yeah. And then like that song off of, um, you know, the Mayor of Simpleton off mm-hmm. of Orange and Lemons. Yeah. That bass line on that song is, that yeah. should be like requisite study yeah. for yeah. any bass player. Yeah. Do 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 do, and then like do 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 do, and I can't even sing it right now, but it's like oof, so good. There's a, I don't know if you're familiar with uh that album, but the on the on the Dukes uh, record, there's um a song called "You're My Drug." Do you know that one? Uh, I think I know. I've heard that song a long time ago, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna YouTube it after you leave. And at the end, if you listen, the bass line—I mean, it's great throughout it. But at the end, he just starts going off like, and it's so beautiful. Yeah, so yeah. No, he's he's definitely an un. I would say he's an unknown bass player because hardly anybody knows who X. And I say that in a very broad, general sense that hardly anybody knows who XTC is, let alone has the patience enough to dig into their catalog. Right. You know. And it, the Duke stuff too. I, I think a lot of people that that's sort of an under underrated record because I think people who don't know it may think of it as just yeah. they're just being silly. Yeah. You know, the songs on there are really good. Oh yeah, yeah. They're no, really and those guys are a good song, really good songwriters. Yeah, yeah. And the, the most recent thing that Andy has done, one of the most recent things he's done, he did a, a collaboration with Robin Hitchcock. Oh, um, did you know about that? No. Uh, I'm kind of out, like music news. I'm kind of way out of the loop on stuff. I am days. for I, the most part as well. I got to hear it secondhand. Um, but yeah, I think it was last year. Or it was pretty recent. They came, they did a, a whole record together and it's, I'd listened to a little, a little bit of it. I haven't heard the whole thing, but it's very psychedelic. 
Nice. And, and, and kind of crazy. I need to listen to that again. Uh, do, do, do you know Robin Hitchcock stuff? Or, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. He, uh, he got up on stage with us, uh, an oldies band. Uh, Did he really? They had, does a thing uh, at South by Southwest called, um, um, Mojo's Mayhem. And we, we always kicked the show off at like, you know, nine forty five in the morning. It's a ridiculously early show. Right. And Robin was hanging about and he got up and sang. We asked him to come up and sing backups on one of the songs. Oh, so cool. We had him, him with us and we had, uh, um, uh, God, why do I can't remember anything today? Jesus Christ. Um, Susan Cowsill from the Cowsill family. Okay. Got up and sang, uh, got up and sang backups with us. And yeah. one of the girls from, uh, the Bengals got up with us too. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. Rob, Robin is, 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 uh, incredibly intelligent, interesting guy. Oh yeah. I thought, didn't he, didn't he come into town or did he already come? He was here recently. He was at the continental. I, right. I couldn't go. I, yeah. I think we're, I, I think we were playing that night. I can't remember when it was. God, when you, when you, I haven't seen when him playing in a long time. Yeah, when you when you gig for a living, you miss all the cool. Yeah, stuff. I know. It's <laughs> this is the way it is. It, it, one of the best shows I ever saw was was um, was Robin playing at Rockefellers wow. back back in ninety one. It was when he was touring on his, his solo record "I," which mm. is still one of my favorite records of all time. What was um, that band he used to have? Uh, the Egyptians, or, the Egyptians. Or, the, or before that was the Soft Boys. Okay, uh, yeah, that was his the band he started off with. And then two of the members of soft boys went and formed, uh, Robin Hitchcock and the Egyptians with right. Morris, Morris Windsor drummer and Andy Metcalf, the bass player. Nice. Um, anyway, yeah, man, we've run the gamut tonight or today. <laughs> I think, I think we're good. We're, we're, good. we're almost yeah. at 90 minutes now. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. You're right. Wow. Um, very cool. So, uh, yeah, like I said, we're not playing this weekend. We're got the weekend off, but we'll be, we'll be back in action next week. We're going to be in College Station. Yeah, it's a true story. Uh, what else do we have going on? A calendar, real quick here. Yeah, I think I'm going to be, I'm going to play this weekend up in Austin. My last one of my last Austin shows. I think. Oh yeah, with uh, I play with the Basil Trio up in okay. Austin okay. at. Let me tell you real quick. Cool at Craft Pride on Rainy Street. It's Craft a fun Pride. place to go. Sounds like my kind of place. Um, they have all craft beer there. You'd like that place, Chad. I would. I don't like it because they have all craft beer, but <laughs> I'm not a craft beer fan. Um, but our next gig is O'Bannon's. Yep, the Great Guinness Toast. On the 15th. The 15th. Uh, that is fun. Yeah. My second time there. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great pub. One of my favorite pubs in the country. So O'Bannon's. Nice. Uh yeah, and then later this month we've got we're going to be back in Cyprus at Moe's. We're going to be at Team Bone Toms again, and we're going to be at, at Molly's in Kingwood, another one of my favorite pubs. So yeah, next week I think Patrick will be back. And uh, sounds to think great. If, I think if there's anything else I need to say. I think that was it. Oh, yeah, the online store is still there. <laughs> there's there's I'm going to I'm going to be adding tank tops to the to the store this week. Nice. Uh, people have been asking for those, and I think some new stickers. So uh, keep an eye on that, bloggers.com slash store. The tank top season is coming up, so ladies, yeah. Be, yeah, yeah. be buying. Um, and yeah, and for the Ireland tour as well, you can go, go to bloggers.com slash Ireland. And um, I should be having some, some more information on there this week, but you can also get on the mailing list uh, and we'll, we'll fill you in as soon as we know more. You can also check if you don't want to get all the mailers, you can just check the box that says only send me Ireland news <laughs> and we'll, we'll only bug you when we have yeah. said Ireland news. All right. Thank you very much for listening, y'all. Thank you, Eric. Thanks, Chad. See thank you guys. You, thank you, Ringo. Yeah, Ringo was a good boy. <laughs> <laughs> all right. See ya.